Morning, everybody. Good day to be under a roof. I want to thank Hannah uh, and the worship team. Thanks for sharing your gifts with us this morning. I was very blessed by that. Um, thank you, Kevin. Um, my name is Seth. Uh, I'm on the road with Jesus. I'm still trying to figure this thing of life out. Um, and the things that I actually believe I have figured out, I'm finding are really, really hard to practice. So a lot of these things of Jesus, they're kind of simple, but they're really hard to do and to live out. And so that's why I come here every Sunday, because this place, this community called GPC helps me in those areas of moving towards Christ and putting those things into practice. Um, two things before I start my story this morning. Um, I want to first tip my cap to all the volunteers that pulled off a really cool community event Friday. This is the first year that I actually had a chance to help out myself. And I can say that my experience um, from the inside was just as impactful as when I came as a, a parent bringing my kids here from the outside looking in. Um, I was as impressed by the teamwork from within as you put your energies into blessing this community. Um, it I was amazed. Um, the, the event, I think, ended at 8. And if you were here, you saw all of the stuff in this church that had been put into place, all the games and everything like that. And by 10 o'clock, Amos Ebersol was out there with the hand blower, blowing off the last of the pavement at 10 o'clock. Two hours, everything was put away. And I was just, I was blown away at the teamwork uh, that, that took place here. So that was pretty cool. Um, that night, as I volunteered, I was uh, given the charge by Derek Slayball and Amos Ebersole to have fun with a couple hundred pumpkins. And uh, I'm pretty sure they put the newbies in the pumpkin pit. I'm starting to learn that. Um, and the evening started out really well. The kids were chunking pumpkins, and my son and I were out there with the tape measure and measuring their best efforts. And uh, everything was going really well. The train was on the track. It was headed towards the train station, and everything was great. Uh, the train began to come off the rails uh, when, thinking that there was only 10 minutes left in the evening, I decided to let the kids charge the field and begin to smash some of the pumpkins, right? I then learned that there was still 40 minutes left in the night. <laughs> I didn't have my phone on me. I didn't have my watch. And I had completely lost control. <laughs> I don't know if people saw me down there and thought, Seth's got this under control, but I had absolutely no control over what was happening there. And I'm really thankful that no kids, I can report no kids suffered any major head trauma. There were pieces of pumpkins and entire pumpkins being chucked through the air uh, down there in the pumpkin pit. Um, and so my night that was uh, spent, you know, measuring uh, people's longest throw became uh, trying to... to tell young kids best practices as to how to smash a really hard pumpkin that won't break. And I was really thankful because we couldn't break any of this. There's one rock down there in the middle of the pumpkin pit. And I would say at least 100 pumpkins were smashed over that rock by little kids. And so Amos, all I can say is I think the kids had fun, even though there was complete chaos. So um, this morning, the second thing I want to say is that I'm really trusting this morning that God would speak to you. If you've come here today, you've come here hungry and thirsty, um, this church believes that we can't live on three square meals a day, that we need to hear the word of God. 
that there are things that you're going through in your life right now where nothing else is going to satisfy but hearing something from your creator, from God. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to speak at a church, and uh, a guy came up after I had spoken, uh, my friend Dave, he was a pastor, I got a ton of respect for him, and he came up and he said, Seth, he said, God really spoke to me this morning. He said, there was something that I have been longing to hear for a long, long time, and God spoke to me this morning. And then he quickly said, but it wasn't through anything you said. And after I did CPR on my ego and resuscitated it and bandaged it up and everything, I was able to compose myself and just smile and say, you know what, that's what it's about. I wanted my friend Dave to experience God, whether it was anything that I said. I wanted him to hear from the Lord. And um, I'm trusting this morning that God might do that in your life as well. Um, I want to be transparent about the story that I'm going to tell this morning um, I actually didn't want to preach on this story. Uh, this story is, it's bizarre, and you're going to hear about it. Um, and even when I've read, I've grown up in the church, when I've read through the Gospels and I come to this story, I tend to take a detour around it because of how bizarre it is. And Tim had asked me a couple months ago to preach, and every time I tried to think about something else to speak on, in my spirit, I just knew I needed to go and sit in this story and listen to it, and listen to this guy that we're going to talk about, and see if his life had anything to tell us. And so, here we go. I'm going to tell this story. It's out of Mark 5. Um, this is a major paraphrase, so you can fact check me later, but I just encourage you to listen uh, to this story out of Mark chapter 5. Uh, that day, evening came, and Jesus said to his disciples, he had been teaching, he said, let's go to the other side. So they got in the boat. There were several other boats that were traveling with them. They're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a violent storm comes up, so much that waves were beginning to crash into the boat, and it was beginning to be swamped. And the disciples in the boat, the small fishing boat, were incredibly distressed. And in that moment, as they're going through their distress, Jesus is actually has the audacity to be sleeping. It says that he actually had laid his head on a pillow. And the disciples decide they are desperate enough that they're going to come up and they wake Jesus. And Jesus sits up from his sleep and he rebukes the wind. He says, knock it off. He says, pipe down. And in that moment, the story goes that the sea became like glass. And the disciples who had just witnessed it became terrified. And they asked this question, who is this man that even the storms listen to him? Then Jesus, in that boat, crossed to the other side. They went to the the shore, the land of the Gerizines. And as they came onto the shore, a man came rushing down from the tombs that were there on the hillside. And he came down and he bowed down before Jesus. This man had been sent away from the community. He was no longer welcome there. He had been sent out to live amongst the tombs. And when he was in the tombs, he was so violent that they put shackles on his hands and on his legs and he would break them. He could not be contained. And he began to do violence to himself. He began to cut himself. And he cried out day and night and the community could hear his cries from town. And this man came down at the feet of Jesus and he bowed down. 
And he said, go away from me. He said, don't torture me, son of God. Why would you come here to torture me? And Jesus looked at the man and he told the unclean spirit that was in him, be gone, no more. And then he asked that spirit, he said, what is your name? And the spirit said, our name is Legion, for we are many. And the, the spirits began to, to implore Jesus, to ask him, to beg him, not to send him away from that community. And so Jesus allowed them. He said, okay, he said, you can go into the, the, the herd of pigs that were grazing on the other side, on that bank. And the demons left, and they ran into the pigs. And all the pigs, as soon as the demons came in, they rushed down the side of that hill, and they ran into the, to the sea, and they were drowned. And there was over 2,000 of them that died that day. The swine herders witnessed all of this, and they rushed into town, and they began telling everyone what had happened, not only to the pigs, but also to this man that Jesus had just made well. And the townspeople rushed out, and they came out, and they saw this man who they had bound and sent to the tombs. He's sitting there clothed, and he's in his right mind. And the story says that they became afraid. And they asked Jesus, they said, hey, Go away from us. Leave this community. We don't want anything to do with you. The man sat there on the shore, and he pleaded with Jesus, because Jesus was about to leave, and he said, Jesus, he said, take me with you. I want to follow you. Jesus said, no, no, no. You need to go back home. Go back to your people. Tell them what I have done for you. Tell them how good God has been to you. And so that man left that day. He went back to a place called the Ten Towns, and he began to tell his story. And it says that everyone that heard him was amazed. That's a story out of Mark chapter 5. Um, this story is, is complex. I really want to encourage you. Last week, uh, Adam Nagel was here, um, and he uh, did an illustration that I'll never forget. If you remember the 100-grain bar, um, where he uh, reminded us that we don't just come here to hear something regurgitated from someone like me and then go on our way. The scriptures are made for us to go ourselves and sit with them and listen to this story. And I've done that over the last couple months, and it's really been impactful for me. And I encourage you, go do it yourself and see what emerges here for you as well. Um, side story real quick. I was at the Fall Fun Fest, and my son Ezra, he's in first grade. He comes running down to me. He has this little red candy bar, and he's dangling it in front of me. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, great. And he says, no, Daddy, really look at it. And I was like, what? And here is a 100-grain bar. And he had remembered that and put that all together, that um, that, that story had made an impact on him. Um, I'm going to grab a drink real quick because uh, I'm thirsty. So, Sorry about that. All right, Mark 4, chapter 36. You can turn there if you'd like at this time. Um, this story says that late that day, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. The rest of what we're going to talk about today happened on the other side of the sea. Most of what happened in Jesus' ministry took place on the western side of the sea in the land that had been fought for, it had been claimed, it had been settled by the Jewish forefathers. Only a few but very significant times does Jesus venture to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and in this case, to the land of the Gerizines. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is taking his disciples to a foreign territory, an unfamiliar place, an area that is inhospitable to them as a people of Jewish faith. Now, 
Uh, the context of this story, which I just told you, is that they, the disciples have just experienced a violent storm which almost wrecked their fishing boat. They were fearing for their lives, and then they witnessed Jesus speaking a word, and the storm lost all its power, and the text says that the sea became smooth as glass. And then Mark adds this, that the disciples in the boat were in awe and fear of what they had just witnessed. And so there's a pattern that shows up in these two different stories, and that's why I told them together, because you're gonna, if, if, you're, if you read these stories this week, you're going to see that there's a sequence in both of the stories, even though they're drastically different. And the sequence is a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. A great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. So let's first look at this great storm. This great storm was happening in the life of this man who had been quarantined to live in the graveyard. The first question that came to me when I read this story was, what drew Jesus there? What drew him there then? And I'm speculating here, and this is when I think Scripture invites us to use our imagination, but I believe that in the pitch dark, and if you were catching in that story, it was evening when Jesus said, let's go to the other side. So by the time they get to the other side, given how long it takes to travel there, it's dark. And so in the midst of the darkness, as the storm begins to subside, I believe, and if you've ever been in a storm where you've lost all of your senses because you're so focused on what's going on, I really believe that Jesus actually as all of them come to their senses after the storm, hears the cry of the man from across the lake. And this is why I think that. I had the opportunity uh, to live in northern Wisconsin for uh, 10 years on a nine-mile-long lake. It's called Lake Owen. And um, we worked at a college there, and I was uh, the operations director there, and so I had to go over you know, all the protocols for what to do on campus. And every time I would introduce the students to the canoes and what they could do on the lake, I always told them this story. I said, be really careful what you say when you go out on the lake. Because as the story goes, there were a couple of girls that were looking to get away from everyone on one fine autumn day. And they pushed off from the shore and they went out on the lake. They traveled, it was a half a mile across the lake. They went the whole way to the other side. And they, be, they had this long conversation. And about two hours later, they come back, and there was a, a gentleman there sitting there studying, which was common on nice days to study on the shore. And uh, he looked at them, and he said, man, he said, it's really good to know exactly which guys you're in love with and which professors you can't stand. And their jaws just dropped. And I reminded the students that when you're out on the lake, you can hear for a very long way. Um, and so I believe as Jesus and the disciples, all, they come to their senses, they hear, this storm probably carried them closer to the shore than they would have liked. They hear the cry of this man crying from the tombs. And I think that is what drove Jesus to that shore. Sound travels. I speculate that the storm carried them closer. Um, and in the calm, Jesus hears the cry of this tormented man that's in the greatest storm of his life. Um, and so I want you to think about that. Think about what that may have sounded like to hear the distress uh, from across the lake. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was listening to this guy. Um, he's a Hebrew scholar. He um, has spent a lot of time in the Hebrew scriptures. And he said this that I believe really connects with this story that we hear here in Mark chapter 5. He says this, and I want you to, I want you to take this with you today and think about it and see if, if this, you find this to be true in your life. He says that pain brought to speech turns to energy. Pain not brought to speech turns to violence. Let me say that again. 
Pain brought to speech produces energy. Pain not brought to speech turns to violence. And this guy, Walter, went back to the, the story of the Exodus. And if you're familiar with that in, in the first part of Exodus, it, it, he, he says that oftentimes we think that God takes all the initiative in our life. But in that story, that's not what it says. That story says that the people of God groaned and they cried out, and it was their cry that God heard that summoned God into the narrative and the story that they were experiencing. And as I heard that statement and I listened to the cry of this man across the lake, I began to think that Jesus, as he's on the boat, hears the groan and the cry of this man calling out to him. And that cry invites God into his story. Listen to Psalm chapter 34, verse 17. It says, Is anyone crying for help? God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. So this morning I want to ask, have we cried out our pain to God? I mean literally cried out our pain. Maybe it's been on a walk. Maybe to another friend. Maybe to a group of people. Um, I was a camp pastor uh, up in New York for a week, uh, a number of years ago. And during a devotional time, a girl named Nicole came to share her story and to, to give a devotional. And the first part of that devotional was everything that you would have expected at a Christian camp. And then she stopped and she got real. And she said, you know what? She said, I've been faking it all summer. She said, I feel far away from God. I'm dry and I'm tired. And then she said something I'll never forget. Because it was unfiltered and it came straight from her heart. And she cried out her pain. And she said, God, I'm, she said, God, if you're there, will you throw me a bone? Because I'm tired and I can't go on much longer. And you want to talk about things getting real comfortable in a space, especially a Christian space, when someone gets that honest. But she was completely honest in that moment. She cried out her pain, and she spoke to God in that moment. And I called back several months later, and I asked the camp director, I said, hey, how's Nicole doing? And he said, you'll never believe it. He said, she's doing really well. She actually has experienced a spiritual renewal in her heart. And I wonder, I just wonder as I heard that, if that began when she cried out her pain to God and God heard her and her cry of pain was what summoned God into her story. And that's what I see here in this story in Mark chapter 5. Because I'm really confident that, you know, when we hear those words from Nicole, that, that God wasn't, he wasn't rattled by the rawness of her speech. Her cry was from the midst of her storm, much like Jesus heard of this man, from this man. Pain brought to speech produces energy. Pain not brought to speech produces violence. In this story, we also see the second part of that. We see the second part of a man that's been, he's been isolated from community. His pain turns inward and violence is then directed towards no one else but himself. It's as if once he was rejected by others, his rejection of himself got even deeper. 
And I've been thinking a lot about that and what that looks like. I think there's, there's times where we, you listen to that statement, pain turns, pain brought the speech turns energy, pain not brought the speech turns the violence. We can see where, you know, we hear on the news all the time where it's very clear that someone's pain turned to an outward violence, right? But I think we have to be wise. I think this story calls us to, to be wise about there are ways in our communities that our violence can turn inward towards ourselves and towards others. Richard Rohr says this. He's a Franciscan writer. He says that we have two choices of what to do with our pain. We either transmit that pain or we transform it. There's only two choices. Transmit or transform. Um, I've had a chance to share, um, even last week, a little bit of some of the losses at, at our Connect group, sorry, downstairs, which is a great group. Um, I've appreciated that. But I've had a chance to share some of those losses in my life, some of the failed expectations that I have and the disappointments. And what I did, and the only way that I learned as a kid to deal with that pain was to internalize it. And I really thought that I was doing everyone a favor by stuffing it down, by shutting it out, and by beginning to wall myself off from community. That was just, that was like my MO in life. That's how I dealt with pain. But the older I get, the more I realize that I was trying to protect the people in my life from that pain, but really what I began to do was I just transmitted it anyways. They ended up receiving that pain, but you know what it came through? It came through anger. It came through criticism. It came through resentment. And so they ended up, in my unhealthy ways of dealing with my pain, they still ended up getting it. And it's now only after about 40, 40 years of living that I'm beginning to pick up some other tools that help and teach me how to transform that pain instead of just transmitting it onto other people in my life. So a great storm. That was the first part of the sequence in this story. I want to look at the great calm. It's hard for me to relate to this demon possession that this man is experiencing, but there are parts of his experience that I can really relate to. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, one of the reasons I can really relate to this story is I'm actually a tombstone engraver. So I spent a lot of my life and waking time in cemeteries and living amongst the tombs. So when I read this story in the Gospels, I'm like, all right, I get how isolated and lonely those places are, and I can't imagine a man that's been sent to live in the tombs and has spends his entire life living there. So I could literally feel some of what he may have felt when he was banished to the tombs. But I think there's other things about this man's struggle, struggle with isolating, um, as you reflect on your own story, places where um, we're cut off because of our choices from loved ones, um, places that leave us alone, forcing us to kind of bear the weight of what we're going through uh, by ourselves. And so I think when we read this story, it's not hard to relate to some degree of what he was going through. But I also, and, and what I want you to think about is this man when he's on his knees. The man comes and he bows down, but then out of his mouth comes this unclean spirit. And I think this story also invites us to think about the, con the inner conflict that we wrestle with Anytime we wrestle against sin and evil and the things that we go through, author James Martin says, the possessed man's conflicted behavior points to a deeply divided self. He prostrates himself before Jesus on one hand, but then he screams at him. 
He asks Jesus to swear by God that he won't torture him, even though he's already experiencing torture from the demons within him. The words of the demonic in this story show the inner division and the turmoil that he suffers. Um, I was reflecting then on on a passage in Romans chapter 7 where we see the inner conflict that all of us wrestle with when it comes to wrestling against sin and evil in our lives. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, I find this law at work in me. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against my mind and making me a prisoner. I love that Paul arrives. Eventually, he's going to get to at the end of, of Romans chapter 7. He's going to, after he talks about that inner struggle and that conflict that we see there, um, he says this, and I love this. This is out of the message. It's paraphrased. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. Think about this man, his story. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. There's no one who can do anything for me. Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is Jesus Christ can and he does. And that's what that man experienced that day. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. What I find astounding about this story is that the inner turmoil that this man is experiencing as he lives in the tombs left him written off by everyone in the community. But that very turmoil that he suffers was the very thing that brought him to the reality of his powerlessness. And from his powerlessness, powerlessness, it brought him to his knees. And from his knees, it brought him to the mercy of God that washed over him, that clothed him and put him back, sent him back to his people, believing and telling them that nothing is impossible with God. In this man's life, um, God didn't cause that situation that he found himself in, but God also wasn't willing to let that experience go to waste. He used the turmoil in his heart to bring him to his powerlessness. From his powerlessness, it brought him to his knees. From his knees, it brought him to the mercy of God. And from the mercy of God, it sent him back to his people to tell his story of redemption. And I think that's cool that we serve a God who can do that kind of thing in our lives too. I think this story brings up that question. Have you and I experienced powerlessness yet? Maybe not through the, the war that raged and the storm that raged in this man's life, but have you and I been brought to the place of our knees where we realize that there's some situation in our life in which we have absolutely no control? Oftentimes, that experience is the thing that begins our relationship with God. Richard Rohr says, until and unless there is a person, a situation, an event, an idea, a conflict, or a relationship that you cannot manage, you're never going to find the true manager. So God makes sure that several things come your way that you cannot manage on your own. When I read that, that began to really change some of the way that I saw difficulty and challenges in my life. Because I was raised believing that 
you know, God was there to make my path easy and smooth. And when I hear these words, I'm like, whoa, you mean God actually wants to bring stuff into my life that I realize that I actually need him and that I can't manage my life so he can come and be the true manager of my life? Whoa, that's crazy. But I believe that's what happened in this man's life. He's brought to powerlessness. He's brought to his knees. He's brought to the mercy of God. He's sent back to the community to tell his story. Just as Jesus spoke a word and calmed the storm at sea, we saw in the first part, he speaks a word and he calms the storm of the demon-possessed man. And just think about this story. Think about how, for a disciple, those stories run together. They're sitting on the shore, and the water is just lapping up against the rocks after they've just experienced a turbulent storm. And here's this man they just saw rush down from the hillside, sitting there in his right mind, completely calm and at peace. Those two stories, they run together. A great storm, a great calm. And lastly, I want to look at a great fear briefly here. A great calm, a great storm, a great calm, a great fear. In both cases, there is fear in the midst of the storm. Turn to Mark chapter 4 if you have your Bibles here this morning. And I want to look at that real briefly. In both of these stories, you have people who are distressed and they are in fear as they're going through their storm. What were, what were the disciples first afraid of in that story? Well, they were afraid that their boat was going to sink and be torn to pieces. But then the story goes that they had a new fear and a different fear at the end of the story. It says that they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this man? Hannah just led the worship team in, in singing about Lord of all creation. Do you think that was maybe some of the things that were going through their mind? That they had known the creator, but now they see in Jesus a power to calm a storm. And it brought up in them this awe and this fear of who is this man? Who are we dealing with here? The second story you see, the people were so afraid of this man who was so violent, they sent him out to the tombs because they were so afraid of him. And now all of a sudden, what's their new fear? It's a different fear. It's who in the world can do what we could not do for ourselves? Who is this man? I want to read a couple. I was listening to a, a Michael Card song, if some of you are listening, uh, have ever listened to him, but... He sings about this song. I'm going to read it to you this morning. He says, A demonic shaking of the sea, black leagues of open water wide, a legion of the darkest kind lurking on the other side, a hand outstretched against the gale, a voice that stills the tempest roar, a muzzled death is silenced there by he who calms the storm. A great wind, a great calm, a great fear, an unspeakable power is here. Far beyond the darkness and the waves, there is a very real reason to be afraid. In a question rising from the flood, who is this man and what is this strength? The storms before his power still and the waters must obey. I'm not sure where you're at today. Um, as you think about, I'd love to go through a story and to think about who do I connect with in that story. 
Um, maybe you're like a townsperson. You'd rather not deal with a Jesus that's just invaded your world with his kingdom of goodness and grace. Maybe the way it was was predictable and it was safe. And there's something to that that we all like, that I like. We had our little economy and we could count on bacon every morning. Who doesn't love bacon? But now when people want to hear our story, we got to include, remember when that guy came across the sea and he did the unthinkable thing? And we're left in awe saying, who is this man and what is this strength? And maybe we're honest to say, and maybe we're just saying, you know what, I'd rather not deal with that. I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at. And you know what? What I love about Jesus' story is he gives us a decision. It's like, hey, this is not my day. I'm not going to move on with him. But maybe not. Maybe what he did and what you hear today and what you've experienced leaves you saying, yeah, life can't go on as normal anymore. Something's got to change in the reality of who Jesus is. Maybe some of us this morning um, are, can easy, easily relate to the man in the tombs. Perhaps your history, your past, your choices have left you feeling bound and isolated. Maybe the choices that others have made have left you feeling bound and imprisoned. There's many times in my life where my inner demons left me feeling bound up. Um, I knew there was a person underneath my fear and my anxiety and my struggle with depression and all my insecurities and everything that I pleaded with Christ many, many times to set me free from. I mean, I can still remember being at Ridgeview Church and going out there in my car and sitting up looking over the valley and just pleading with God because there were parts of me that I didn't like, that I wanted to be done with, that I wanted to come free of. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened on that, in that time. And there were many times that I pleaded where nothing happened. But I can say that Jesus was on the other side of the sea with me. And his grace was sufficient. And I kept trusting that somehow my chains were refining me. And I wasn't going to let go of him. And more importantly, I believed he wasn't going to let go of me. And I can tell you this morning that grace did come for me in a decisive time that I can look back on. And it came when I least expected it. And the links of those chains began to break. And they are breaking, right? And that's the only reason I'm here this morning. And I give the credit to the same Christ who set this man free over 2,000 years ago. It's the same power and the same force, the same person that's bringing grace to our lives. And I encourage you today, maybe you're in that, that, that space, right, where you're just getting honest and saying, man, I feel some of that torment. I, I have some inner struggles. I'd like to be done. And maybe today isn't your day as you plead before God. But you know what? Maybe it is. That's what this story brings to us. Maybe this is your day.
And all I can say is, it, is keep knocking on the right door. Keep knocking on the right door. The scripture says, seek, knock, ask, and the door is going to be open to you. And maybe today's not your day, but maybe you know in your heart that you're still knocking on the right door. Keep doing that. As long as Jesus is behind there, the same power that touched this man is there and it's available for you today in your story, in your life. And lastly, maybe you have experienced the grace of Jesus. And you know where the hardest place to tell your story is? It's with your own people because they've known you since you were a little kid. And they know all the things that you did and struggles you had. And you start to tell them that something's different in me. And they're the hardest ones to convince. But Jesus, you know what Jesus says? He knew that the people back in that community were the ones that needed it most. And he sends them back. He says, go home. Go to your people. Tell your story. Tell them the grace you experienced. I've been really encouraged by the connect groups because I see that happening and I see God moving as people in this community who've lived here and grown up here begin to tell their stories and look back and say, yeah, remember when Jesus came across the sea, he came and met me, and my life's not the same. I want to leave you with two questions and I'm going to be done here. Who is this man and what is his strength? Have you encountered Jesus Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I have never experienced that. And you want to. And I can tell you that this community right here wants you to know Jesus. They want to share their story, their experiences, their strength, and their hope that they have that keeps them coming here and keeps them doing what they're doing. And I would say... Look no further than the person next to you if you're sitting here today and saying, I'd really like to know him better. And lastly, I just want to, I think this story, it, it brought it up for me, uh, and I, I just want to challenge you guys. Um, in what ways are you transmitting your pain, and in what ways are you trans seeing your pain transformed? In what ways are maybe you denying that the pain's there, you haven't talked about it, you haven't brought it to speech, you haven't brought it to God, and it's getting passed on to people whether you know it or not. And in what ways are you actually saying, you know what, I want to step into that pain and I want to see God use it constructively to help other people. Because Jesus is there to help you with that as well. And so I'd encourage you, if you're saying, you know what, I want to act on it. I want to just sit here and listen to what I said. I actually want to act on it. I want to encourage you this week. Make a vow this morning that you're just going to step into it. You're going to find a safe place. You're going to find someone, some group, something to share a little bit about that pain that you have experienced because you want it to be brought to energy rather than to violence. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, uh, man, I just think about and thank you uh, that hope has a name. We just sung about that. We sang about Lord of all creation. And I thank you so much, uh, God, that you are on the move, whether we can see it or not. Um, you want to come across the sea to meet us exactly where we're at.
matter what we're experiencing, and you want to bring change. You are the God who is always on the move, bringing change in our lives. So I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself today. I pray that you draw us closer to each other. And I pray, God, that as you do that work, that we would begin to be able to tell that to other people. And as we do that, you, you would, God, you continue to break the chains of other people, that this can be a transforming community right here in our midst. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.